hope everybody is doing their best right now as we're going through this crazy time in our world. I'm Tony Bruski, host of Real Ghost Stories Online. Wanted to invite you and let you know about our other brand new podcast that we just launched, Help Kill the Time for You. It's called The Dark Side of Wikipedia. It's about true crime and dark history. We dive into some of the strangest, most disturbed minds and experiences from our history and examine their story, their Wikipedia entry, and then discuss the cases, the individuals, and the psychology of the events as we go through each and every story. Some of our first episodes include Ed Gein, the BTK killer, the new London school explosion, Amityville murders, Richard Speck, Amelia Dyer, the General Slocum disaster, Jeffrey Dahmer, and more. New episodes every single week. Check out Dark Side of Wikipedia. Search it. Subscribe wherever you download podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. It's available now with new episodes every single week. Dark Side of Wikipedia. Search and subscribe today and stay safe out there. A woman feels very much alone in her belief that her house is haunted until a terrifying experience hits her family as well. That's today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now. At 855-853-4802 Or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com You are about to enter the world of the unknown And quite possibly, the undead This is Real Ghost Stories Online That it is, and yes, 855-853-4802 is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online To share your real ghost story with us, you can uh, also write in our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Share your story with us that way. We'd absolutely love to hear it. This is a listener-supported show. Has been since its inception back in whatever year it was. 2014, I think. Right around there. Uh, but you guys have what uh, is what has kept us on the air. Uh, by supporting us, you guys get in the bonus episodes in exchange. The EPP bonus episodes. Of course, you get the advanced episodes of the shows with no ads in. You get our uh, audio book and our ebook of two Amazon bestsellers. That right there, a $30 value. You get it for free. When you become an EPP, how do you become an EPP? You go to ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. Sign up there. It's five bucks a month and you get access to all of it. Cancel anytime you want. Uh, and uh, there you go. It helps keep, keep the show on the air. Gets you all that free stuff. Gets you all the extra stuff. Our best ghost stories. And uh, like I said, you support a show that you enjoy listening to. And that's my PBS telethon moment of the day. Tony and Carol Hughes joining you again. If you call right now, Yanni's greatest hits also uh, included. In um, No, it does not include that because I enjoy it too much. And I'm never going to give up my Yanni cassette. Well... There's that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to say something smart-ass, but I just didn't have a reply. You don't know how to... Because nobody expects Yanni thrown into the conversation. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get Yanni into the conversation? I don't know. I don't know. It's just a skill that I have. Well, and I like the way you did that. No. Well, do you remember the, all the PBS? PBS still does those pledge drives. But I swear to God, for most of the 90s, that was like the gift. No matter what. It's like 1992. It's the PBS pledge drive. Oh, what uh, what sort of concert are they showing? It's Yanni. Okay. PBS 1998. Oh, it's the, the pledge drive. What, uh, what concert are they doing this year? It's motherfucking Yanni. You know? <laughs> And and it just totally ruins PBS. And then and then I think for a while it became Michael McDonald in the early two thousands for a good five years. And I don't know what it is now. So that's um, I don't know. But there was a time in my life where I liked Yanni. <laughs> I, I don't really remember it. Hashtag shit. Carol says like doesn't he play piano? Yeah, he's like yeah. a, he's like a piano he was married conductor. Married to Linda Evans. Yeah. And, and like I had one of his piano books because I play piano kind of okay, mm -hmm. not great, but I was up to Yanni's song anyway. <laughs> yeah, Yanni, because he had it was like Yanni live at the Acropolis. Yeah, because I was really into new age piano music for a while. There you go. Did you like Enya yeah. too? What's that? Did you like Enya too? I mean, not to play on the piano, no. but. There was like a song or two I really liked, actually. Sure, sure. Yeah, that was uh, that was that day in time. There was a lot it was like of uh, Jim Brickman and yeah, There's... and uh, I really liked him too. I've got his piano books too, and I got to meet him once, and I was kind of a little starstruck. Mm -hmm. Jim Brickman's got some good stuff, and he's short. It's like five yep. foot six. One of the, uh, if you like, uh, and we'll get to ghost stories now because they're like, shut up, you two. Uh, but I'll give you this. This is my Jim Brickman tip of the day, everybody. I'm going to speak like I'm Jim Brickman of the Jim Brickman Music Hour, which used to be a program that we aired on adult contemporary radio. If you'd like a great Christmas album to play for the family on those cold, crisp winter nights, the Jim Brickman Fireside Compact Disc is the one to play. It'll make you feel close to those ones you love. Cuddle up with a blanket and listen to Jim. So there you go. That's uh, that's the creepy, weird Jim Brickman uh, recommendation like of the day. Close, but not too close. Yeah, there you go. But it's a good. Uh, I, it is a good CD. I remember getting that. I have radio. the Jim Brickman Christmas piano book. Yes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> now you can. Uh, now, or you can get the Carol plays Jim Brickman uh, Christmas piano. Uh, cassette tape. Kind of like Jim Brickman <laughs> when he's really drunk. <laughs> it's a great thing to play around the holidays and when you're high. It's like, uh, I think that's her first Noel, or is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's Carol's first time playing Noel. And uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's what we'll be doing this Carol's year. Carol's best Carol. <laughs> We, we should do that. We should make a, a holiday album this next year, and uh, that can be a premium item. Carol sings. Uh, Carol does Christmas carols. Carol, yes, Carol does Carol's Christmas carols. Carol's carols. Anyway, eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online. Our first story of the day says: So my husband Sean and I, as newlyweds, relocated to a little house in Weber City, Virginia, in January twenty fourteen. We were so excited to move into this house as we were leasing to own my mom assisted us in the move and we could not have been prouder of being homeowners 
It was such a beautiful little starter home. It was located practically at the base of a mountain in the woods, located on the Trail of Tears. And then the first week, the activity began. I, Emily, was training as a CNA at a local nursing home in the area. Got up early one morning as I had been for my classes. It was around 5.30 in the morning, and I was in the bathroom blow-drying my hair with the door open. It was a small bathroom, so I left the door open so I would not get hot. As I held my head upside down and tossed my hair in the dryer around, I caught a glimpse of someone in an old-timey pioneer woman dress floats directly in front of me into my bedroom. Confused and not understanding what I had just seen, I stopped what I was doing and walked into the bedroom where my husband was sleeping. I could not explain what had just happened. I was at a total loss of words. I mentioned what had happened to friends and family, and most just laughed when I told my mother she mentioned to me that the house next door had been on a paranormal television show, and supposedly it was known for being extremely haunted. I laughed it off and did not think much about it. I was wrong to ever act nonchalant, so nonchalant. We found out we were pregnant with our firstborn, Harper, shortly after moving into the home. Things were great for a while. We had a baby on the way. I had decided to take time off and stay home while pregnant. One night, I remember my husband had went to sleep before me. I was sitting in the living room watching TV, and we had three dogs at the time, and I whistled for them to come out to the bedroom to come into the living room with me. I whistled, and suddenly I heard a whistle right back. I got up and walked to the bedroom to see if my husband was awake and he was fast asleep. I got that eerie feeling like someone was watching me and stayed up most of the night. There were many moments in the home where you'd hear people speaking in the house very slowly. I can only explain it like a diner and how it can be during an early morning rush. Multiple conversations just going nonstop. We could hear it all through the night while we laid in the bed and attempted to sleep. My husband was a bit of a skeptic prior to living in the house. He could also lay in our bed at night and see shadows speed from the dining room to the living room. It got to be quite disturbing at night when we laid down and we both just thought her eyes were playing tricks on us. The activity was frequent, but nothing too extreme at first. Now I know seeing someone walk by me is extreme, but not when you lived in this house. Eventually, we got pregnant again with Charlotte and became a family of four. My husband's cousin needed a place to stay and moved in with us. We joked with him about the house next door being haunted and told him about the weird things that occurred in our house. My husband, being the practical joker he is, thought it'd be funny to buy a satanic Bible and read and poke fun at the things in it. He likes to taunt people or things on occasion. One night, he decided he would go next door and summon whatever was in that house to come to him. No one was living in the home at the time. Usually the residence did not last longer than a few months. As soon as he got done summoning whatever it was in that house, he became violently ill and ran back home getting sick in the yard. After that, things went downhill. There were times when you could go outside and see the light randomly come upstairs in the house next door, and no one was there. We knew this because my husband and his friend went over to find out if anyone or someone was there. They knocked for a while and no one came to the door. They came back to the porch and the light went off. It was very strange. We went back in the house and came back out to smoke about 30 minutes later and the light came back on. We'd see shadows all the time outside as well. So much just kept going on. After that satanic Bible incident, my husband, myself, and the girls were asleep in the bed. I remember waking up feeding or feeling someone's hands touching me inappropriately. I thought it was my husband. I remember laughing and saying, stop. When I opened my eyes, I was looking 
at him with both girls laying against him. I immediately froze in fear and went catatonic. I could not move. I could not speak. I could not do anything. I remember feeling the tears come down my face and with everything in me, I knew someone was behind me. It's like I was screaming in my head for my husband to wake up, but nothing came out. Finally, it's like whatever was touching me released me and I shot up crying. I was so shaken by that moment. I had never had anything like that happen to me. I felt so violated. My husband being my husband just laughed and assumed I had been dreaming and poked fun at me about it. I labeled the next incident as the big night because it was just that. One night, my husband, his cousin, and myself were hanging out. The girls were already in bed. We were up late and it was cold outside. I were having to wear a jacket when I went outside and smoked. And I could see my breath. It was not cold. Came back in from the back porch after smoking and looked out my dining room window towards the haunted house. In the yard, they had a concrete table and bench. And to my surprise, in the freezing cold, there were three people sitting at the table and a lantern was lit over their head. A tall man and his face were so distorted I could not make it out. He was wearing overalls and kept shaking oddly. A dark blonde woman and an old woman in a long black robe or dress. I'd not have thought it too strange, but the lantern was just hanging in midair from nothing. It was freezing cold outside and they were just sitting there. I shouted for my husband and his cousin, another skeptic, and they both were shocked and in disbelief. We could not believe our eyes. I ran to the back porch and looked at the table and no one was there. I thought I was going crazy. I ran back in and there they were again. I went to my front porch and could still see them out there. Again, back to the back porch and they were gone. It's like the only place I could see them was from my dining room and front porch. My husband's cousin Thomas was in shock and refused to look anymore and went back into the living room scared of what he was seeing. I were asking him, are you saying this? You're seeing the same thing I'm seeing? He replied, yes, but I do not want to admit it to myself. I waved at the people sitting there and they waved back. I did this frequently throughout the night until finally around 4 a.m. the blonde female flipped me off. At around 6, they disappeared. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen and I've never seen anything like it since. One day, the woman that owned the house next door came over and asked my husband if he could help change the locks on her house because new people were moving in. He went over and helped, and she is proceeded to tell him her brother had lived in that house and practiced the occult and was into some heavy stuff. He had Parkinson's and always wore overalls. He immediately thought of the man we had seen that night sitting at the table. She then told him her brother shot himself upstairs in the middle of a pentagram. My husband was very disturbed by this. We both swear it was her brother we saw that night at the table outside. We lived there a few years and it almost was like the place was draining our relationship, turning us against one another and causing severe damage to us. We decided to part ways and I re relocated to North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina to be closer to my mother who had moved down a year after I moved into that house. Leaving that house was the best decision we ever made. My husband and I reconciled and are happier than ever here in South Carolina with both of our girls. One evening, we were watching TV and the show pops up called Paranormal State. An episode came on. In that episode, we began watching. We were shocked by what we saw as they drove up to our old road, our hill. You could see our house as they pulled into the driveway of the house next door to begin their investigation. 
My husband was in shock and stated that this just put everything together he had experienced because he had written it off that he was going crazy. One scene in the show, the resident states she was sexually assaulted by something there, and that made things just come together for us. My husband was at that point in shock and dismay by what had happened to me. We both feel for whoever lives in either house because we do not feel like it is the house. We feel like it is the land, and it has a permanent stain that will never be lifted. I'm so glad we moved away from there, but we will always remember horrible and shocking events that happened to us while we were there. Well, there you go. Unpack that one, Carol. Well, number one, can we not have any more stories about people moving into haunted houses? <laughs> As I sit here amidst all these boxes because I'm moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one was creepy. Yeah. And I'm so glad that they were able to get back together because when she said they were that she was going to move and they were breaking up, and I was like, that's so sad because... The reason they're breaking up is because that came between them. Yeah. So that made me happy. Yeah. They were, but how creepy then, on top of living through all that, you're watching TV one night and here's your old neighborhood. And boom. There's my house. There's the haunted house next door. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I am so glad that this episode or this story popped up on your episode um, because... <laughs> Because, uh, well, we're not on the Trail of Tears, but we're close enough where we're going. <laughs> and, and this is something Jen did all of her research on. She made sure we weren't on burial ground. We made sure we weren't on any sort of trail. She's like, Trail of Tears is about four or five miles away. Okay. So we're not like right on it. Um, but, you know, it's close enough. There's a great haunted park near where we're going to that has a battlefield uh, whole like walking and driving tour. You'll love it. Um, you know what? I think I've been there. Yeah. It's a Civil War battlefield. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, I have been there because the Trail of Tears is part of it. The Prairie Grove area. And my dog and I took a little vacation once, and I took him to go see the Civil War battlefield. Yeah, it's quite a spot. Um, and there's actually, we drove through there the other day just because we were killing time. And um, there's there's a couple there is a couple houses that are like right there, like practically in the park. I think there's one that actually is in the park that is historic and has something to do with the battle. But there's this like another residential house, like just on the other side of the road. Like one side of the road is the park, the other side is this guy's house. And I can only imagine Jen as we drove by, she said, "You could not pay me enough to live in that house." Mm. And you think about that, like all of those Civil War battlefields, you mm -hmm. know, there's so many of them. And the Trail of Tears goes on for a long way. Yeah. yeah. And it was horrific what they did. Yeah. It's, uh, but it, then that whole thing with the, was it the uncle that lived there and shot himself and mm -hmm. inside the pentagram? Yeah. Like, it, it makes you think was, well, men, don't ever bring a, like some Satan Bible into anything. Just a bad idea. Even if you're thinking it's for fun. Yeah. Well, I think people who do that don't take the, the what could happen seriously. And that's why they do it. And then they learn all too quickly. Oh, don't screw oh, around I'll with watch that. this. Yeah. But you wonder too if, um, you know, I would think that he had some mental illness possibly because he killed himself in the middle of a pentagram. Yeah. But... 
you know, living in that house, I wonder if that got to him. Look what it did to the neighbors. Yeah. Where it's a, could they be a combination. divorced over it. A combination of the two. You know, that sort of stuff. We often hear it feeds on individuals that are suffering uh, with any sort of mental illness. Um, and then who's going to believe the mentally ill person, you know, when they're saying these other things that may be tormenting them simultaneously. So there's probably a mix of that going on there. Now, I mean, that that would be just so troubling because you're trying to figure out what is going on when you're looking out that window and then to the other direction where there's nobody there. What are you seeing? Are you seeing an image of the past? Are you? But but it, apparently it seemed like it was an image of the present because she said the woman flipped her off. Right. So I thought the same thing. Yeah. I'm like, I've never heard of a ghost flipping someone off. Not saying that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not old, all old timey ghosts. Yeah. And they're all there, you know, almost conjugating together and maybe, you know, like, I know you're there, you living bitch or whatever, you know, she was thinking as she's giving the finger. But that is that's a new one, I guess, for the show. But uh, again, so many elements to that that were so creepy and and just bizarre, but unique. And it it was a very good story. Thank you for sharing that with us. And if you have any more, we'd, of course, love to hear them. 855-853-4802. That is our number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Let's go to another uh, another uh, letter. It says, I have a few, actually. A few involve my house and my grandparents' house. At my house in the South, in the Bible Belt, obviously believing in ghosts is kind of weird. But I interacted with several ghosts. The one in my house is a little boy named Jonathan. No idea what the last name is, but my brother and I used to play and call him Jonathan when we were kids. He used to hang out in my brother's room because he hadn't technically been invited to roam the entire house. So as soon as my mom said to him, Jonathan, you know, you don't have to stay in my son's room, right? He would roam the house, my brother and me. This one involved my dad's first experience in the late 90s to the early 2000s. Keep in mind, the house was built in the 1960s. My mom, brother, and I were at my grandparents' house, and my dad was at home trying to take a nap. As soon as he lay down, he heard children's footsteps running down the hallway. Obviously, my brother, mother, and I were not home, so it was not us. He called uh, right to my mom to see if she would answer, but he did not get a response. He put it off as him hearing things. Then he heard it again. He called my grandma's house, trying to get in touch with my mom. He said, hey, Mill, can I speak to my wife, please? My grandma handed the phone, and in a frantic voice, my dad said to my mom, When are you and the kids coming home? I heard footsteps and called out, and you weren't there. My mom said we would be home shortly, and when we got home, dad was still in a weird, frantic state, at which point my mom had to tell my dad that he heard, if he had heard of the ghost of Jonathan. Jonathan also likes to mess with my aunt. She suffered from breast cancer, and instead of asking for money, she would clean her siblings' houses for work, and that's how she would pay bills. Well, my brother had a talking big bird toy, which was new at the time. Every time my aunt was cleaning our house, Jonathan would make the toy go off and talk. He would also move stuff that my aunt would set down while she was cleaning and she would tell him to stop because she was trying to work. This one involves the aunt you just mentioned. At the end of her life, she was lying in my grandparents' house. When she died, it was right before Christmas. Before she died, the room she was in that she died in was a room I slept in, and it was my nursery as a baby. But when I was a teenager, I would spend lots of nights over at my grandparents' house in the room that my aunt died in. I would have the door open. It would randomly close when I was lying down watching TV or making the bed or when I was coming in to get something. 
I'm convinced she wanted me to know she was there. This is also a story about an aunt. The Christmas she died, she had already gotten all her siblings, her nieces and nephews, and her parents' gifts. She got my brother a remote-control army tank. My mom and I were in the den at our house while my brother was outside with his friends playing with his other toys. The army tank was sitting on the cedar chest that we have at my house. It would randomly move with no use of the remote at all. And mom would scold me, you need to stop messing with that. And I would tell her it was not me messing with it. The only reason she believed me was because she finally saw it was moving on its own. The remote sitting right next to it. Mom told me, go outside. I need to talk to my sister. And that's how that story ends. Ooh, that was a good ending. It for was. It was. It was. That's that. That's how you end a story. That's showmanship right there. <laughs> okay, so that was still in the ho- same house with Jonathan, right? Yeah. So maybe it's Jonathan playing with the toys. I could see that. Still, just kind of a right? forever, a forever kid spirit. Right. Mm-hmm. But then I could also see it being the aunt too. Sure. Just trying to let them know that, you know, she's still there. I mean, with the connection of both of them, it makes you it makes you almost wonder if the two of them could be somehow connected uh, on the other side. We've heard of that before. We've had stories on the show where even individuals of different generations and different times and such seem to be able to interact amongst one another. Most notably, it was a, I I couldn't tell you where it was, but it was a a haunted investigation where I was talking to investigators about what they were getting through their equipment, their boxes and stuff. And they had come back with enough evidence that seemed to make sense of hearing the spirits uh, that they had identified as, as this older couple were watching over the spirits of these younger children and they named some of the names and historically timeline, these kids were of a completely different time and place. They did not die when these other older generations had, but they were all still kind of like this ghost unit that was kind of made up of one another. And they all kind of helped each other out just as if you were, you know, all stuck in the same place and you're all trying to make the best of it. It was a really fascinating conversation. I wish I could tell you what episode that was of the Grave Talks, but I know it was just early on in the show. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're there and there's something else there, like you're a spirit and there's another spirit, Mm -hmm. it seems like you would know it. Yeah. Or not. Well, it makes you wonder because it's like, well, are all ghosts seeing each other? Are are ghosts only seeing, you know, those who have died, you know, in their kind of time window or... What is it? How does it work? Because we've seen evidence for it being almost every which way. So there's no definitive answer or even anything I would say where here's how I think it is. Um, Because just as quick as I hear that story I just shared, I hear one of the, you know, opposite, uh, you know, with just as much validity to it. And you go, well, how are the rules this way over here and that way over there? And I think that might just be one of the mysteries of it is the rules are there are no rules. Yeah. First rule of fight club. (laughs) Fight club. There are no rules. Yeah. I think that might be what uh, what is going on. Uh, I was going to uh, get a caller uh, in here. Hi, let's hear your real ghost story. Good evening. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm uh, got a couple of stories. Actually, I'll tell the oldest one. Maybe I'll call back another time and tell the other one. But um, back in early 2000, maybe 2002 or three, uh, I bought into a little country store that had a trailer, 
and you rented the two together, the building and the trailer that lived right behind the store. It was also very close to a old Civil War battle, and I'll get back to that. But um, I had been living there about a year running this store, and I went away for Christmas weekend, and while I was gone, I had a tweak and knee injury I had had, got some, uh, borrowed some, uh, what do you call them, uh, having a brain fart right now, <laughs> crutches, <laughs> borrowed a set of crutches and brought them home. Well, my knee was in good shape by the time I got back, but I left for work Monday morning after that weekend. Uh, I had set the crutches against a chair in my living room. When I came home that night, put the key in the door and opened it, and I heard a thump. When I walked in, the crutches had just fallen onto the floor. I didn't think a whole lot of it, but I went back to work the next day, came home, but same thing, put my key in the door, and when I walked in, those crutches fell on the floor again. And that time I had made sure that when I set them against the chair, they were you know, real stable and everything, fell right over. So I thought that was kind of weird, but then uh, maybe a few days later, I was having breakfast or making breakfast in the kitchen, and um, the radio came in on in the living room uh, from a from an old jam box I had, and there was no alarm or anything that you could set to turn it on and off. It just came on. So I thought that was kind of weird. Uh, a couple other things happened. I kept waking up 3:33 same time every night just pop right out of bed like like somebody just smacked me in the face or something <laughs> 3:33 and this happened maybe every third night or something this went on for several weeks um but the strangest thing that happened before the final night was that I was watching TV um it was a scene in which there were two individuals talking at a dinner table behind them was a white wall or to the side of them was a white wall and it was taken up maybe two-thirds of the screen I'm watching this TV this movie and my name appears in thick black letters on the TV between their two faces and then fades out and I literally smacked myself to make sure I was awake <clears throat> so that was the last unusual thing that happened before the big thing now, the big thing was that I went to bed one night, uh, and I woke up, and all within a few seconds, I, I was sleeping on my stomach, and I noticed like a black shadow move across my room and disappear like out the window or something or through the wall. And I also, and I looked down, and it was 3.33 again, and in the next couple of seconds, I realized I couldn't breathe. And, um, you know, one part I missed was that when I woke up, I felt like a, a kind of as I was waking up, there was a weight on my back that lifted. And um, I, I, at this point, I couldn't breathe and started. I don't know if you ever had the sensation of falling on a football, had the air knocked out of your lungs. It happened to me a couple of times, but it's a it's. It's a rough feeling because you, you're trying to breathe and can't get any air. And this is what was happening to me. And it took me about three or four inhales to, to finally start catching a little air and getting my lung filled back up. And when I got to the point where it was filled up, I screamed. The whole neighborhood probably woke me up. I think I woke up the wolves. And uh, 
I mean, scared the living hell out of me. And the next day, I don't know how I got back to sleep, but I did. And the next day, it was gone. I, I knew it was gone. So I don't know if it was a test or what. But um, what I linked it to and what I thought about later was that I dig for, I, I do metal detecting. I dig for Civil War items. And um, a couple of weeks before this started, I was out digging on this hill, which is like within a quarter mile of my home. And this elderly lady owns it, and she let me on to metal detect. And it's very close to a battlefield that happened years and years ago during the Civil War. And the first thing I found was a metal or a button. Um, and it was a, you know, just not an ordinary button. It was a uh, officer's button. And it was pristine. It looked like it had dropped within the last few days. I mean, it was just very clean. And I didn't understand it. It was right near the top, right near the surface. And I took that home. And I'm wondering if that spirit that was in my place uh, was that Civil War officer. I don't know. But uh, that's my story. I got another one. I'll, I'll call back at some other time and tell you that one that's that's a little more recent. All right. Take care, fellas. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, I got a theory on the button on the why it was so clean. Okay. What? My my theory on that is that maybe this, this button belonged to someone um, who had had it in their own personal collection at home. Maybe it was a grandfather's or a great-grandfather's or whatever, great, great, great. And they had been holding onto it for so long and maybe they didn't want to, to have it anymore. Maybe they felt this should go back to where grandfather is. And maybe they kind of traced, maybe grandpa, you know, had perished in that area or something. Uh, and they just went and dropped it back you know, in memoriam. Maybe because grandpa was haunting them. Yeah. And they're like, get rid of this damn button. Yep. That could be that too. Yeah. And they did. And that guy's like, Hey, what a find. And look what yep. it did. And that's why it was so but fresh. I do think that's, that seems to be the connection. If that stuff wasn't happening before, mm -hmm. then you bring that into your house. Cause we talk about that frequently. Yeah. Bringing things into your house. It just, I don't know. Things are attached to things. You know, people are... Because it shouldn't have been that pristine. It, if it had been out there since 1860-something, mm -hmm. you know, it should have been hard to find. I mean, because it, it would have been dirty and kind of blended in, and you yeah. use your metal detector to find it. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting thought. With with people being attached to things, I think sometimes we almost have this cartoony vision, at least I do sometimes, of like, they're living within the, the ring or within the box or whatever it is that the item that is supposedly haunted. Is it so much that the individual is attached to it in that sort of a way where it's like it can't leave it, it has like a ball and chain to it? Or is it something where an entity can easily go from place to place no matter where it is? Because chances are, you know... I got a box of things that are personal to me that I keep together, essentially. Uh, it's, you know, in emergency, you know, take this with me. Um, and I'm sure we all kind of have those sort of things. It's what would you grab out of your house if there's a fire? And is it where once you die some and you have these items, your kids get them, whoever gets them, 
they don't have those personal connections. And then oftentimes those items that were once all tightly knit together are just kind of separated and go here and there through thrift stores, through family passing down. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. So could you be attached to more than one item as a ghost, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at, where you can be showing up in one second for this button and maybe somebody over in the other part of the country has your sword. Or, or as a person who is dead, do you really kind of got to like prioritize that box of your stuff and what are you most attached to? What are you going to go for? But it does seem odd that someone would pick, you know, the coat button versus, you know, their their sword or, or something more more relevant to to what was going on yeah. in their lives. Because there would have been more to yeah. him when he passed. Exactly. Than just the button. Yeah. That's why I wonder about ghosts being able to be kind of, you know, omnipresent in a way. Why couldn't it be? I mean, yeah. it's not like you got a body. It, it's just like it, when if if I'm concerned about something in my house, I'm going to run over to it and check it out. And then if like two minutes later I'm warned about something else, I'm going to run to the other part and check it out. You know, does it mean I have multiple ghosts? No, it just means, you know, you're kind of moving from place to place, but maybe the efficiency of moving from place to place, you know, presents itself when you're dead. So you can be all these different places and you're still concerned with, with stuff that is of, of importance to you. I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting. Yeah. Deep one to think about. Deep thoughts. I know. Great. Now another thing to keep me up all night. Deep thoughts on Real Ghost Stories Online. Coming up, more Jim Brickman. Uh, (laughs) 855-853-4802 is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online. And that is going to wrap up this episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. If you like the show, keep us on the air. Become an extra podcast person and EPP. Sign up ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories and uh, five bucks a month gets you all the bonus stuff and keeps us on the air so please do check that out until next time for carol i'm tony thanks for listening to real ghost stories online have you ever had a nightmare neighbor you know a neighbor from hell you know what i'm talking about If so, we want to hear about it in our brand new podcast, Nightmare Neighbors. That's right. We got another one in the works. We need your stories first. Go to NightmareNeighbors.com and send in your Nightmare Neighbors story. Or call in toll free 888-68-CRAZY. 888-68-CRAZY. And share your nightmare neighbor story with us. And we may talk about it and use it on a future episode of the Nightmare Neighbors podcast coming very soon. Maybe they're your current neighbors. Maybe they were a neighbor from years gone by. Now is the chance to tell your story anonymously. Go to NightmareNeighbors.com to share your nightmare neighbor story with us. Or call 888-68-CRAZY and be part of the brand new Nightmare Neighbors podcast. This might look like a normal job, but it's not. When hackers infiltrate networks and steal or destroy proprietary data, we're all at risk. Becca used to be a mid-level programmer until she earned a master's degree in cybersecurity online at Grand Canyon University. Now she's setting sophisticated honeypots to lure and catch hackers. What do you think protecting your company looks like? 
GCU offers over 175 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.